0: Welcome to Funds That Won, where we dive into some of the world's most renowned investment funds. We'll interview investment managers across the alternative landscape and learn how they built their million and even billion dollar asset management empires. We'll explore teams, structures, strategies, and best practices in launching and running alternative investment funds. First, tell me a little bit about your hedge fund.
1: Okay. Uh, So what we do is we um, trade power and electricity in, uh, in North America. Uh, mainly, even though we're we're headquartered in Calgary, uh, we trade mainly in, in the United States. It has a a really good, um, uh, I mean, the U. S. has been a great opportunity for for people who are very entrepreneurial. We started with about seven or eight, you know, shareholders, and we um, you know pooled some money. I literally remortgaged our, our house at that time with my... Um, How so, long ago was this? This was in 2011, and I'll kind of go back a little bit on that, is that at that time, it was, you know, my my ex-husband and at that time, we were separated. He wanted to start a hedge fund uh, to trade power and electricity. He'd been trading for for about seven or eight years at that point. He says to me, he's like, you know what, I want to do this at this time. Um will you be okay if we remortgage our house? And I take all of that and invest with a couple of other people and do this. I'm a single mom about to be divorced. And I could take my half of the money and just go, you know what, you do you. You know, we're we're separating our lives anyways. But instead I'm like, okay, let's take this risk together. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, you know, I have a, a mortgage for another like, you know, 10, 15 years. It's okay, and uh, so now fast forward to twenty twenty three, we have um, about fifty employees in in Calgary, uh, another about ten twelve in Houston, and we just opened a uh, an office in in Europe. Wow! Uh, so now we are getting into the European market. Uh,
0: and how much are you guys managing?
1: We started off with let's see, like seven or eight shareholders who are also still employees of the company. We have, we started off with like one 1.1 million and now we are assets under management over 300 million and that's with taking out a lot of um, equity. I mean, like a lot of dividends over the years.
0: So do you annual distributions then?
1: Annual distributions to, to the shareholders, which are the same core people and we do not take out outside investments so this you is, don't you
0: don't have any LPs no so it's like a, you're it's more of like an investment club that you started yeah right of yes. just trading and yeah. trading together collectively yes uh, the same seven individuals yeah right yes that is incredible grew yeah. it from 1.1 million mm-hmm. up to a three hundred million dollar uh, business
1: business and that like I said has been in, the del- in 10 years we've never not paid out a large distribution Wow. So, you know, we kind of felt that, you know, the fund is going to grow, but then we also wanted the ability to take some money out personally so that we can, you know, invest in other businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so everybody in our, in our group have businesses outside of the, of the core business as well. Wow, yes. that
0: that is incredible. Like, so, what, what, tell me about those early years. You yes. know, w- with just a couple million under management, mm-hmm. did you? Did, I assume you probably didn't do distributions then, mm-hmm. um, or did have you done distributions every year? Or like, uh, what was your mentality mm-hmm. as you're growing, and and why is? maybe 300 the stopping point or no. is it, is it still growing or oh, yeah. what's your, what's your.
1: Uh, so the first about says. two, three years was I didn't actively work in the company. I was a shareholder. Mm-hmm. Um, I still had my kind of day job because I wanted to make sure that, you know, at least one person had a day job so that this mortgage that, that we've done or this light, like it was like a, a HELOC. Oh yeah. There was, you know, we have to pay it every month. So I had a day job in, in order to hope help support that in case anything happened with uh, with this investment. And it was a situation where there was like, you know, one or two traders, um, you know, and then everybody else was more, mostly three or four traders, and everybody else was more like support staff. And every single trade was a do or die trade. It's like, you know what, this trade can keep us alive for another day, week, month, or it could sink the entire operation. And when you're thinking of a small hedge fund, what happens is that uh, we're small little fish in a huge pond, even at a pond at that time, right? And then you're also competing with the guys that are like, you know, ocean sizing, you know, the big banks, the really big hedge funds, they could be wrong in their position, but they can hold that position until they get you out, right? Right. So that was the, the risk in the beginning is because you're trading it from a position of you always have to be right because <laughs> even if you're wrong for a, a short period of time you're out of money like there's no more credit left to to hold that position until until things turn around and so it was every single trade was a is a sink or swim type trade so <laughs>
0: you're riding on your performance in yes. the beginning like you just uh, had to perform yeah. point stop
1: exactly and it yeah. started off like you know trading with like on a laptop and a little computer uh i think it started in in our basement and then we moved into like a little one or two bedroom condo Mm -hmm. you know setting up with this computer and then eventually uh in 2014 we um moved into a real office i would say that we we bought the building Mm. and we moved into it we again still have the same you know core people and we had this space that was i think about uh like seven about almost a thousand square feet mm-hmm. and it felt like so big like oh my god look at this <laughs> massive space right yeah. by the time we moved out uh, of there we were you know 30 or something cramped into the space uh, we renovated over and over because we needed more desks we needed more desks and <laughs> that's where we are so I, we we ended up buying a new building Wow. in uh, 2020, 2021. And I'm in the midst of like doing a massive renovation on on that.
0: How exciting. Yes. Up yeah. in Canada, right? Up in Canada. You're yeah, staying headquartered up there. Yes. Love it. Yes. Hey guys, thanks for listening. As you know, we don't run ads on this channel. So if you could really help me out, if this podcast has added any value to you or your business, uh, please subscribe, rate, and review. I would appreciate that greatly. Thank you. So, okay talk to me about this electricity market just mm-hmm. for a minute yes. um i mean how big is the you know futures market The mm-hmm. the, the contracts like explain it from soup to nuts if you would
1: um so with the uh with the electricity market you can trade hour by hour you can trade out a day a week a month, a year. Obviously, as it goes out further, um, there's more risks to be uh, taken, and there's a lot more credit that needs to be posted in order to to trade those larger contracts. So, in the beginning, we just traded, you know, uh, settlements that were the next day, you know, just really short um, um, settlements. And the electricity market is actually massive. It's you know hundreds of billions of dollars in in. In um, in trading, um, we don't own any, own any physical assets, so we don't own a power generation or anything like that. But a lot of the um, the bigger companies they own, you know, these these um, generations, so they can take that electricity and sell it into the grid or trade around that.
0: Um, Wow. And so are your end buyers like municipalities primarily or states or?
1: No. So, for example, so California would be would be a uh, the ISO, which would be um, uh, an ISO, which is is called an independent uh, systems operator. Mm -hmm. So they are mainly there to make sure that the demand uh, is met by by the supply. Um, so they basically balance the the, um, the electricity grid. So for us as, as a hedge fund, what we can do is we can purchase um, power and electricity from outside and float into there. So there's two types of trading physical assets and financials. So the physical would be I would buy say from Nevada, uh, I would set up a contract with you know one of the generation plants there, um, purchase it at the next, Price And whatever California is trading at, we would purchase the the contract to, um, you know, at this price here, mm-hmm. buy the transmission rights in order to flow into California and sell it in, in that market. Uh, because we don't have um, any generation, we have to rely on all these contracts all along the way. Gotcha. And so what happens is if any part of it gets cut it, as we're trying to flow that market, uh, flow that power... You know, we can number one get in trouble. Number two, we're not uh, fulfilling the contract that we've um, that we've uh, agreed on.
0: Yeah, what's that, the liquidity like in that market?
1: Uh, California is very liquid. Yeah, yeah, very okay. liquid. Uh, it's it's probably one of the like the biggest uh, markets in uh, in the U.S. Uh, so California is one market. Uh, Houston, which is the ERCOT market, is another one. Then the northeast is another large one. And then the rest of the U.S. is kind of like all clumped into um, into different areas. I don't know if you want me to get into specifics about, you know, the, the names of each of them. But oh, um, they all kind of, you can all interflow together. Or you can kind of contract it to, to flow specifically. The other type of contracts is financials, which are the, are the options markets and in, in, in the futures market. So you could purchase a position, you know, that settles maybe a week, a month, or, or a year out, and take a position on whether it's going to be, you know, X price or below, and you can buy or sell that that position. So with trading, as you know, uh, you know, markets could go down, as long as you're on the right side of it, yeah. you make money, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, You can short a market and make money, or you can be long and still lose money, right? So you buy t- to hope that the prices go up, but then prices have gone down, and now you have to cover that contract. So you could lose money in both directions, but you can also make money whether whether money um, whether prices are increasing or decreasing. And with electricity, which is kind of different than stock market, is that the prices can go into the negative. Mm. So uh, if there's just too much um, supply, the they will actually like the um, ISOs will actually kind of pay you to kind of like.
0: Just take it off it's their difficult. hands.
1: Yeah, because it, any imbalance in the system will will potentially shut down the system.
0: Wow. Yeah. There so. we go. Okay. So you ran this, uh, you know, three hundred million dollars. You're running this three hundred million dollar hedge yeah. fund. Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Like, tell me about how you got here. I mm-hmm. know that you're an Im- immigrant, and you have this amazing story mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, coming over. I'd love to. I'd love to jump into that a little bit.
1: So I was born in Vietnam uh, to a Chinese father and a Vietnamese mom. My dad was born and raised in Vietnam, but his roots and his descendants or his, um, his ancestors were all from China and they, um and then shortly after the Vietnam War, um, Vietnam was allowing anybody with Chinese um roots to to leave the country. You know, being a communist country, it's not like, you know, you can pick up and go. But because, you know, the war had recently ended and they, um, they basically just want, you know, Chinese people, we don't want you in the country anymore. And, that, and my dad saw that as an opportunity to um, leave Vietnam and hope for something better in the future. What that future was, he doesn't know. And so we took a train from Vietnam into China, and at th- that time it was kind of crazy because, because of his Chinese roots, China actually really welcomed all you know all Chinese people from from wherever to come to come home, even though he was not actually born there. Um, so we lived in a, a farm, I guess, and, and in a big hall with mattresses, like you know the straw mattresses and little cots, and lived like that for a year while my mom was uh, pregnant and and my brother was born there, my dad said that, you know, when you leave a country into, you know, another place, like for myself, I was, you know, raised in Vietnam, or sorry, raised in Canada, but if I was going to go to China, I don't know anything about it, you know, even though that's my roots, that's, you know, really where my father was. He, my brother was sick one time, and, you know, he's like, few months old, dad had to take him to the hospital, rode a bicycle in the middle of the night with my, my, my brother in, in his arms and he's biking and he's going down this dark, you know, kind of gravel road, hits a rock, falls into a ditch, it's pitch black. He cannot find my father or, or my brother. Oh. He's like on his hands and knees looking for my, my, my brother. The only reason he found him was like my brother called, you know, started crying. Wow. And he was able to, to find him. Now the bike is like broken and he's still like riding with, with like this down to the hospital, right? So that is the, that's kind of where I started. We also, then from there we went from China and we took a wooden boat to Hong Kong. And on that journey, it took about thirty days, about a month or so. And you Wait, know, how it, old
0: were you at this time?
1: That, by that time, I was about three years old. And dad says, like you know, this this wooden boat's sketchy, and it broke down, and it broke down near Macau. Waters coming in, so the Macau government pulled us in fixed it up and said, listen, if you stay in Macau, you are gonna all starve. And I think there was about I don't know, it was like 50 or 100 people in this boat, you know, really just crammed in there. If you're sick, everybody gets sick. Um, So they fixed up the boat, and they pushed us back out to sea. Wow. Yeah. Nancy,
0: I mean, this this needs to be in a book. Like <laughs> I, you know you need to write a book, right? Have you ever been told that? Like that, Oh. <laughs>
1: that is
0: that is incredible. Yeah.
1: They pushed us back out in the hopes that we would be saved by the Hong Kong government. And and sure enough they brought us in and we lived there for another year in a refugee camp. And and when I say refugee camp, I'm saying like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people in a space where, you know, families would share one Bed or a, a small bunk bed um, and and you gave they gave us an opportunity to go out and dad to find a, a job so that he can like make a little bit of money it's it's uh, wow yeah okay so you're
0: in hong kong yeah age of four at this uh, point no
1: almost four yeah almost yep. four yes
0: w- where to next like, wh- so where sort? to next
1: was that uh the at that time, Canada and United States, Australia were all really accepting um, refugees um, into their country. And so my dad's first choice and second choice were, you know, Australia and United States. He's heard about these places growing up in Vietnam, doesn't know anything about it, but, you know, heard about, you know, United States is, is a fantastic place to, 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 to raise a family and to be. Um, and then he hears about Canada because the reason he heard about it was, Somebody literally having a table like this with a couple of um, uh, people working there accepting um, applications to come to their country. And that's really how we accidentally fell into going to Canada. It's like we just kind of signed up to different countries that would accept us. And Canada was one of the first ones to accept us. And so that's where we decided, we made the jump.
0: So you and how, how many siblings do you have?
1: Uh, now I, I have two younger brothers. So I was born in Vietnam, middle brother born in China, youngest brother born in Canada. So wow. three different countries. And, oh, here's a funnier story is that that was like my dad, my mom, and and the kids. When we hit, like there's different refugee camps, we would look, my dad would go look for his siblings because they don't know where everybody ended up. And there's no cell phones at the time. All they did was leave um, instructions for for people at different camps. Say, hey, if you hear about this person, tell them that we're at this particular camp and we want to meet up. And he was able to find all of his siblings and they all um, immigrated to, to Canada together. So I was like, "How do you do that without a cell phone? Like without email, yeah, without seriously. anything? It was just word of mouth is how we found each other. Wow! And we were lucky. We we're, were like one of the really, really lucky ones." Dad said because you know some of these boats that were out in the ocean at that time, going to you know the ones that were no near other countries, there was pirates, there was um, rape and pillage, yeah. and and kidnappings, especially of the of the women and children. And he says that we were very, very lucky to to um have be able to keep our, our family together, mm-hmm. um and 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 started a um a new life in Canada together. There was you know other stories about people losing each other in the sense that my dad has knows a, a friend who they were all at the same refugee camp together. Something happened. They lost the grandfather. Oh, you know like and they, they can't find him like literally couldn't find a person just wow. from from you know the shuffle of this and that and and they've lost somebody that never knew what happened to him right so we're I, I'm genuinely one of the luckiest people I and I, I hold I um, I thank my my family for that mm-hmm. what I have today is all because of the risk that they've taken and I will forever um try to repay my parents for the life that i have otherwise I, I don't know where i would be and what i would be doing and because of that my children's future is is so much better because of all the risk that was that was taken yeah,
0: yeah. so wow yeah okay nancy that's an incredible
1: story <laughs> thank
0: you hey guys so if you want to learn more about investment funds uh, how they work how they're structured if you want to become a fund manager how i became a fund manager visit our youtube channel for more free value the link is in the show notes thank you so as you know an immigrant a woman running a hedge fund right now Mm -hmm. like what do you have to say you know just being candid that's not very common yes right it's not very common in this industry (laughs) so you know what do you have to say about that what what do you take from that how do you Mm -hmm. think about that uh, in your life
1: you know I, I work in an industry that is very di- male dominated yeah. um, for the first even up until say 2020 yeah. I was the only female in my whole firm wow. right I'm one of the partners there um, and I have some incredibly incredibly smart partners with that that uh, that are are the brains behind this but I bring a different perspective in that I bring a female touch to to everything. Um, as we grow, uh, what I have noticed is that you know managing the assets is one thing and we've got you know this is not where we're stopping.'re we're, we've got plans to to make this even bigger. you know this is just a, a you know a stop and then the next goal is you know half and then the next goal is the, the billion and then we're, we're just gonna see where we can take this. there's no um, there's no no slowing us down because we've got a vision to to keep you know keep challenging ourselves to see if we can can do it you know you you' create these little markers and you just once you achieve it, it's like okay let's let's see where we can take this next. Um, my perspective on this is that I as we grow I want to continue to create that environment that is um, that is very cohesive. Um, one of my core values in our company is, to create still a um, almost like a family business mm-hmm. in that sense that people who are working there they can they're part of our growth they are you know some of the engines of our growth and so I do a lot of um, events so that I don't know just my employees and my staff but all of their family members as well so we do family events where you know we invite everybody kids families to ski trips to. Um, to movie nights where we book out the entire place. So every month we have an event where we will invite either the spouses uh, along with the staff or their whole families so that as we grow, we get to know, you know, John's wife, Mary, like like from a personal perspective. Yeah. Um, and so that has been really important to me. And I think that a lot of that has become part of because it's kind of the female touch, you know, um, very uh, nurturing and very. Motherly, yeah. I guess. I have an assistant who who does a like a, a charcuterie board spread every morning with like very healthy stuff in order to make sure that the people that are working for us are are, are well fed. We are going to have a. Um, so, what's,
0: what's driving you? What, what's driving you and your partners right now? What
1: is the driving us? Um, you know, I, I I would say ambition is is. I think it's the challenge. It's like we we are all ambitious because we're entrepreneurs, you know, yeah. by nature. But it's more like, you know, create a challenge for self ourselves and we're like, can we do this? You know, can we? It's like let's let's just go and growth and, yeah, growth for growth, growth's sake. Growth for growth's sake. And now it's also because we have all these people who are working with us and for us that that they are their family and their legacy is dependent on the, our success, yeah. right? So some of our traders, like, they're all doing extremely well because of of um, the structure that we've set up for them. So um, I'll, I'll speak a little bit about how we pay them. I would love to hear it, yeah. And it's not, you know, we didn't come up with this. We're not innovators of this, but we've adopted it um, as well, is that, you know, they get a really great, you know, six-figure salary, and, but that's not their driver right their driver is the bonus and so our our for our traders how it works is that you know you get a base salary every month that will you know pay your bills and and um, and kind of get you month to month but the bonus is the big one so they can make anywhere between say you know 15 20 to 30 percent of their net revenue Wow with no cap okay so um, one of my partners, when he was working with a with a larger company, it was hard for the the CEO to say, you know, my traders are making like millions more than what the CEO is making, right? But we don't have that that fear, and we don't have that um, that kind of like uh, structure where we're afraid of like, you know, the traders are making more than say one of the owners. Yeah. It's like no, because if the traders are making that much money. The owners are are doing pretty doing well, this <laughs> right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, if a trader has made, let's just say, if a trader's made fifty million dollars, they get anywhere between twenty to thirty percent of that net of um, net of cost, and cost could be anywhere from say, you know, say a million dollars of their cost. So they're making like twenty percent of the rest of that. Wow! They're getting paid. Yeah. Holy <laughs> so, cow! That's
0: that, so, that's that's wild. Yeah. Um, so you pay them uh, base salary plus mm-hmm. commission. Are you assigning them like a fixed dollar amount, like a portfolio that they manage, or you know what is that? What, like do you divide mm-hmm. it up among equally among the traders. What does no. that look
1: like? So um, each uh, region. So let's just uh, let's. I'll go back to California. Yeah. Uh, so for example, in the California market, we need to post. I'll just say say 100 million dollars um with the with the ISOs and with all the various different um uh, counterparties that we that we, we trade with so we post all of our own money and the traders will have access to a big chunk like a big por- uh, portion of that in order to trade on their on their positions so they don't um so they would I would say this group will get say Thirty or forty million dollars worth of credit, mm-hmm. in order to trade off of those positions. So that's the cash or letters of credits that we would post for them to to trade. Um, th- we have a risk management group that would oversee. Um, you know, if our exposure is too high, we would ask. You know, the the traders to cut down on on certain positions, or they would have to stop out of their positions. Or if the exp- you know if we've made a large amount of money, in that we would also take money off of the table in order to protect protect our our assets. Wow. Yes. You know, so okay. Um,
0: so you sign them a uh, you give them a credit. Yes. What happens if they? You, you said you have a risk management department, but mm-hmm. what if they perform poorly? Uh, do they are they given a grace period if they lose money for a certain amount of time? Is there a certain point where you just say, "Hey, yeah. you know, we got to cut ties here. You've lost from too much money." What does that look like?
1: One of the biggest things with uh, with trading is, you know, when you're doing well, everybody's a great trader, but when you're not, that is really the true mark of of, uh, of a good trader is you know how um, disciplined they are with their stop losses, and how um, how they are able to you know. Understand why there is a loss um, on that position. So we don't have a specific number. It's more of a okay, you've lost, you know, five million dollars, but do you understand why the, those losses occurred, and um, and how disciplined were you in getting out of those positions? So if we recognize that someone doesn't, you know, we don't want a cowboy. Basically, like right. you know, just. Shoot at whatever and, and and hope for the best, right? So when we recognize that somebody is you know out of that discipline, whether they've lost a million or five million, we'll, we'll cut ties. But if it's somebody who has you know has been very disciplined over the years, and you know one of these these crazy events have happened with the weather, and they've lost you know five, six, seven million dollars or ten million dollars, but they've they're a very disciplined trader and they they really understand that market. Um, we won't uh, we won't let them go just yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in the end, it is it's a numbers game. So you know, you lose money you you will you will be um, watched a little bit more closely. Right. But we don't have like a specific number. It's more of a you know how that your trading style that uh, that really matters.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so. Well, uh, what an incredible journey you guys have had, like, uh, I love this story. It's, it's phenomenal. Hey, I just wanted to throw this in here. So a lot of people don't know, but uh, you can actually take a free course on funds today. Uh, we have uh, over a hundred videos on investment funds, doing deals and raising capital and how this industry works. Uh, the link is in our bio. It's, it's absolutely free. And I think you guys are going to love it. So if you're interested in this space, I definitely recommend taking a look. Thanks. So Nancy, you uh, run a hedge fund. Yes, you are. I have this incredible story, but you also, I also know you uh, have several other business ventures that you're a part of. I'd love to hear a little bit about those.
1: Yes, um, I'm in um, a partnership with with my current husband, and um, we invest a lot in Puerto Rico. He is born and raised in Puerto Rico, so he, he's based out of there. And so, about in 2019 you know, we saw a little house that, that I really liked, and I, I saw it as a, oh, this is a great place for, you know, if we buy this, renovate it, I can bring my fa- friends and family down to host them. That's really how the route started. Um, now, fast forward about five, six years, we've got hotel, like boutique hotels that we're developing. Um, it's got a portfolio of about 30 um, Airbnbs, and we are developing a few other hotels, and so we We've got an inn in the sense that he's born and raised there. And there is a lot of hotel incentives and tax incentives in Puerto Rico. And so um, that's yeah. why it's driven me as an investor to to partner with him and, and continue to invest in, in this market that I believe is severely undertapped. Um, the government has been so supportive in, in these tax incentives and... and Really, I feel like we found a a diamond in the rough here.
0: Um, What advice do you have for somebody who's maybe just starting out in industry, Mm -hmm. who's getting going? uh, You know, what are your thoughts?
1: My thoughts are I am a genuine believer in in investing in yourself, taking a risk on yourself. And and the more you um, genuinely believe in your skill sets, then you will attract the type of people that will believe in that vision with you to grow. We, um, one of the our, our talents really is to be able to bring in people who who can share in that vision with us, right? Um, and and it all comes down to, you know what? Take a risk on yourself. As a trader, you're really just almost like a business within a business, and you can work for a, a large company and have that security. Or you can come and take that risk with us, and and potentially really get paid well for that. Um, but the biggest one is, you know, just believe in yourself. And from a girl that, you know, a refugee girl to to a person who is partners with people who who have built this 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 dream boat. Yeah, it, it is possible. It is absolutely possible you just have to take that risk and and align yourself with people who who believe in you and then believe in the vision that you have
0: wow so that is that is great i mean (laughs) and putting it all you know i mean you put it on the line right you put taking out that HELOC. (laughs) you know that's (laughs) that's that's, you're taking steps you're putting your money where your mouth is yeah Uh, Any, what about habits that you have, Mm -hmm. uh, either in your business or in your personal life that you feel like have really attributed to your success?
1: Uh, Gratitude. Yeah, that is such a simple word, but it takes us, takes people Um, very, like, just takes people far. Uh, Gratitude from everybody who, you know, the person who made my coffee this morning. I'm like, thank you so much. Like, and and it's genuine gratitude. It's not fake. I'm grateful that, you know, they gave me a free cup of coffee. I was like, oh my gosh, like, thank you. Like, I really appreciate it. To the person who who comes and and unplugs our toilet in in our firm, in our company, it's like, oh my gosh, like, you know, you saved us because, you know, without (laughs) you, like yeah. even this engine cannot run with without as simple as a flushable toilet. Yeah. So all along the way I have been just so grateful to to the people who have supported me and to have um to have helped build this this company with me. Um, you know from our cleaning service to to the traders to to um the people that work at the banks and everybody along the way has been a, a contributor to our success. And I am always um grateful for that. And how I often show it with this, you know, if I do these events for my company or when I have my groups of girlfriends, I would I would do something just for them. Like, you know, I I would say, hey, let's do this together. You know, let me, let me show you how in 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 action, how uh, you've impacted my life and in in giving back like that, that really um drives me. Core value personally. number one, huh? Yeah, yeah, I love Give, it. Giving back.
0: Um, what about on the flip side? Uh huh. Any business or personal pet peeves? Things that thing that drives you crazy?
1: Yes, um I am. I believe, like, a lot of things can be trained, um, you know, skill sets and stuff can be trained, but attitude cannot be. The, my pet peeves are people who have a very pessimistic and negative attitude um, in in whatever they do, whether it be personal or professional. So when I'm interviewing a person, um, I've got people who are interviewing for the more technical stuff. I'm really interviewing for, for attitude and 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 um, how they would fit into our company, right? You know, I want people who are, you know, just motivating each other and, you know, really believe in the vision that we have and believe in themselves and, and having a positive attitude is is half the battle because if you don't, it doesn't matter how successful you are. You'll always have such a negative outlook in life that, you know, it's sad, right? So I, I, my pet peeve is like, if someone who is, you know, we're having a great day and they're miserable. We're having a bad day and they're just as miserable. So I'm like, you know, smile, it's okay. (laughs) Mm So um, I don't like to surround myself with people who are, are pessimist. And, you know, there's, you know, you got to be cautious and things like that. But you know what, there's always a silver lining in everything. You know, when I was, you know, in the, you know, facing divorce and, and um, being a single mom and this fear, I was still like, you know what, doesn't matter because my ex-husband is still an amazing, incredible person. It didn't work out for us personally, but I don't need to To um, to badmouth him or anything like that because he's still an incredible person, right? So I always see the silver lining and I always see the positive in things, and that's not something that you can teach another person. And so I, I just like to surround myself with people who are just you know have a have really good good attitude, yeah. Incredible.
0: Incredible. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. (laughs) Uh, What a remarkable journey, probably one of my favorite podcasts today. So fun uh, to hear everything that you've accomplished.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: All information shared are the sole thoughts and opinions of the author. Do not take any information as legal or financial advice. You should seek a certified accountant and a professional legal team before taking any further action we are not selling or soliciting a security in any way shape or form this content is for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as financial or legal advice clients of fund launch or black card capital partners may maintain positions and securities discussed on this podcast